The opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk may not reflect that of WVFS Tallahassee. 8.39 left here. Knowles lead 32-17. First and 10 at her own 15-yard line. Benson in the pistol. Travis in the gun. Hand off. Benson running right around uh -oh. the edge. Has speed. 25-30. Uh -oh. Near sideline. 40. 50. A foot race. 40. 30. Angley middle. You're not going to catch him. Trot in there, baby. House call. 85 yards for the brick. Touchdown, Florida State. Touchdown, FSU. Trey Benson finally gets it going on the ground as the Knolls run past Virginia Tech on Saturday afternoon. It is a very good evening to you and how you be. It's William Haynes here and you there on the other side of the dial at 89.7 FM WVFS Tallahassee. You're listening to Tomahawk Talk, the weekly sports power hour on the voice of Florida State. As always, a great program in store for you. We'll be taking you up with sports conversation all the way until 8 p.m., where a new release will return to the music. We'll be talking all things the Knowles. They are now 5-0, the first time they have accomplished that feat to begin a season since 2015. They also have a game here back at home again this Saturday against Syracuse. We'll preview that. We'll have Alex Ramol, who works uh, for WAER, the radio station up in Syracuse, to tell us what's going on with the Orange right now. They've had a couple of uh, tough losses back-to-back and it'll be another tough one for them coming down to Tallahassee. Uh, Jack Oliaro will have seminal segment at the midway point telling you about soccer and volleyball and other things going on in Florida State Athletics. And if we have a couple of minutes at the end, there was a lot going on in the rest of college football week six. Uh, the Louisville Cardinals have uh, gone to 6-0. They beat Notre Dame, and they're in the top 15. They could potentially be facing the Knowles in the ACC championship game. Also Miami with one of the worst losses really any of us can remember. So we would love to get on that and maybe uh, kick some dirt up on the hurricane's grave if we uh, can ever get an opportunity to do so. I'm William Haynes. As always, we're joined with our co-host of the program, Jackson Bakich. Great to have you here in the studio. Uh, you are also the sports editor of the FS View and lots of great things coming out of that uh, publication as of late. There was a very interesting story last week after we went off the air. The Florida State women's lacrosse team who has been in club, in club form, they will be fielding a varsity team officially spring of, of 26. And there's been a lot of interesting things going on there. So, again, thank you for coming and uh, a lot of uh, great things going on. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's always a blessing. Uh, to be on the show every week and you know we got the press release from the athletic department concerning the club women's lacrosse team trying to become a varsity sport uh, you know Florida State announces that they're gonna become a, a varsity sport in 2025 2026 that academic year and so you know when we when we read the press release um, you know the kind of rhetoric that that Michael Alford, the athletic director for Florida State, and he's he's saying, you know, the uh, the club women's team um, legal counsel, they had great discussions and dialogue with them, and it, you know, it got us to thinking, you know, uh, it seems like Florida State may have been out of compliance with Title IX, and so uh, the funny thing about that is we uh, we had heard rumblings about about that before Florida State announced that it was going to become a, a varsity sport. And so we were actually going to write an article before Florida State announced it. Um, we were going to do some digging, and it turns out, you know, Florida State announces, and uh, we you know, we put the article out anyway. But 
uh, just a very interesting story, maybe the most interesting stories that I've you know been able to to edit and be a part of. Uh, Connie Connie Schramm did a great great job reporting that that story. Um, you can check it out on FSU or excuse me FSU News or check it out in one of the uh, in the stands that show it, the FSU and Florida Flambeau uh, press box stands. They come out usually on Tuesdays. You can find those around campus and around Tallahassee as well. Florida State has had a great athletic program top to bottom for years and years on end, so to add another varsity sport, and uh, from what I understand, the club team has had some success. We have sent people from V89 Sports to to broadcast the live streams for FSU Lacrosse, so that will also be interesting to see how that relationship uh, continues to grow as the women's lacrosse team becomes a varsity sport here in a few years, spring of 26. Also, we have a couple of panelists in the studio tonight. We'll start with Jacob Smith, our resident meteorology student, also making his debut for this semester, a big Seahawks fan. I know he's excited about that. He also covered the Virginia Tech game for us on Saturday, so he was perched up in the press box. He talked to Jordan Travis after the game. He's got lots of good stuff for us. So, Jacob, as always, thank you for joining us tonight. It's amazing to be back. You know, being at that game and being in the press box, OMG. That was legitimately the best view of Tallahassee I think you could ever ask for. Like, you have the stadium, you have the fans, and then you have the city in the background. You have the campus of Florida State right there as well. I mean, it was beautiful. 82 degrees, just wonderful. Just an absolute pleasure to be there and a pleasure to be here as well. And uh, lots of Tallahassee glitterati make their way up to the press box for, for game days. I know Gene Deckerhoff was there roaming the halls. Obviously, Jeff Colhane, who now does the radio play-by-play for Florida State and courtesy to him as well as the Seminole Sports Network for the the call that we used at the top of the show of a Troy Benson 85-yard touchdown run. So always good things going on with that. And rounding out the panel is Olivia Amen, and not just her semester debut, but her debut on this very program. She did cover the game not for V89 Sports, but for the FS View. She did some great work writing a recap article. If you haven't checked that out, make sure to do so. Olivia, great to have you in. It's so great to be here. I'm so excited to finally be on this show. And like Jacob said, being in that press box on Saturday really was the best view of Tallahassee. And it was so amazing to be there surrounded by everybody else in the media. Just, it felt very official. It was very awesome. A sellout crowd for a Virginia Tech game. It was announced that uh, Doe Campbell Stadium is sold out for Syracuse on Saturday. They've sold out every game except for the North Alabama game, and they will continue to, to move units on that one. So it is a, a great view when you can get it like that. J- uh, Jack Oliaro, producer of the show, peeking in from behind the glass. As I said, he'll have seminal segment at the midway point. He'll also be screening your telephone calls at 850-644-1837 if you want to call us up and give us your thoughts, Florida State, whatever is on your mind. So want to just get into this here. We'll be talking about this up until Jack takes over at 7.30. FSU, Virginia Tech, Knowles win 39-17. to They win. They do not cover just by a couple of points. A 22-point victory just under the spread drops the Hokies to 2-4, and four, the Knowles to 5-0. and oh. And there's a lot to kind of sink our teeth into this, and we'll have plenty of time to do so. But I do want to start with some opening statements, give everyone a chance uh, what you took away, what's sticking with you a couple of days later about a win that uh, keeps FSU perfect on the season thus far? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, regardless of the final result, whether Florida State wins by a lot or a little, this team, I think, has, has provided countless pieces of evidence of their resili- resiliency, their toughness, and their adaptability. Florida State's first-team defense has only allowed 21 points in the second half in five games. 
I mean, that, that's to me that's incredible. Uh, also, their ability to score when necessary has been nothing short of impressive. Whether that's through the air, as they did against Clemson when they needed to, as they were tra- trading haymakers in the first half, or on the ground just this past week with Trey Benson's two huge touchdown runs, they always respond accordingly. And while they have the ability to respond when necessary, Florida State has a culture dedicated to accepting that adversity will come and executing with their backs against the wall. And that's, that's coaching. That's simply coaching. You know, we always talk about the Jimmys and Joes being more important than the X's and O's. But when it comes to responding, when it comes to responding to adversity specifically, Florida State has a culture built upon that fact, and it's due to coaching. Yes, as a playoff hopeful, you would like to see them get a stop on every drive and you know score at will. But the other side has guys on scholarship too. It's competitive. It's human nature that you know sometimes the other team is going to have success. And Florida State, they won't execute on every drive. Jared Verse isn't, get a, isn't going to get a sack or a tackle for loss every play. Hell, he might not even get one every game. But the Knolls have proven time and time again that they are ready for any obstacle at any given moment. I think through five games, they might be the toughest team in the country. Well said. I really like what you said about uh, scoring at will. Florida State opened both halves with their first possession, cashing it in for six. They have opened every half with a touchdown uh, except the first half of the Clemson game. And obviously that's ten drives into the season now, so nine for ten. Basically impossible to beat a team when they're opening every half with a touchdown. And even when you give up some miscues and some boneheaded plays, a kickoff return for a touchdown to start off the second half, they just scored too many points. Once again, this is now the 11th straight win for this program, dating back to last year. And they've scored at least 30 points or more in all 11 of those games. And that's really been uh, the bell cow for them to do so. Uh, Jacob, Olivia, thoughts as we dive into this uh, Virginia Tech game? I mean, something that really sticks with me in the game is what Jordan Travis said in the press conference afterwards about how, you know, FSU's really got to start fast and finish fast. I mean, you see it especially in the first quarter, the 22-0 to was really, it just was great off the, off, the, off the start. But you see it in the second, you know, it just, it just died a little bit. And I think, like Jackson said, it's a very resilient team. You know, FSU always pulls out in the end, but I just – that's just the takeaway I took from the game. I mean, you really can't say enough about Jordan Travis. I mean, his his stats so far have been, I mean, not much to complain about. 12 touchdowns just to just one interception on the year so far. A completion percentage north of 63%, almost 1,200 yards. I mean, Trav is the real deal, 100%. I mean, you know, wherever he ends up after this year, no matter what team he goes to, perhaps in the NFL, uh, I just think that he's going to be he, excellent. You know, he might have to sit, you know, behind perhaps like, you know, a journeyman quarterback or like, you know, a mentor. Um, But I think that, you know, whatever team ends up picking him or if he goes unsigned, if he signs with, you know, whatever team, I feel like Trav is going to go to a right place. I think he's going to have major success in the league. Travis, most likely, when when it's all said and done, will have just about every program record for a quarterback that you could come up with. And he'll go down as certainly one of the greats right now. He's in the chase for a Heisman Trophy, and he is is hanging there in the thick of it. Left shoulder looked good. That injury that, that came up in the Boston College game and looked uh, he just looked in pain against Clemson. He's protecting himself well. He's not really going for the home runs on the ground anymore like he was, but he'll take the first down and slide and, or uh, just kind of throw the play away and not, not put his body on the line on every snap. And 
He's able to put together efficient passing games week in and week out. Did uh, nearly have an interception in the red zone in the first half of the game Saturday, but uh, was able to stay uh, clean in that regard as it was dropped. Just taking a look at how this game went down in case you missed it or maybe you forgot. Right out of the shoot, as the Knolls so often do, their scripted first drive, six-minute drive, they march all the way down there. It wasn't enough to get six. Mike Norvell wanted a couple more. The swinging gate formation out of the basically the PAT unit, it was Brian Courtney, who was a tight end, now is playing linebacker. Haven't seen him on the field much. Direct snap to him, and, and he pulls all the way out to uh, the right side and gets into the end zone for a two-point conversion. So that really set the tone for how it was going to go not just putting seven, but eight points on the scoreboard. And that dominance continued really for the first 13, 14 minutes of the ball game. Florida State was up 22-0 before Virginia Tech got a first down. Tech was 0 for their first nine on third downs and really could not move the ball at all. We talked about Tech really wanting to run the ball. Uh, Kyron Jones, the quarterback, I said if he threw the ball 30 times, they didn't have a chance to win. Well, he threw it 27. They really were committed to the run, but could not get it going early like they did against Pitt the previous week. And then things started to change a little bit. It looked like the Seminoles perhaps took their foot off the gas. The the point stopped, and the defense, Norvell putting a lot of the backups in, a lot of freshman players on defense in the first quarter. Definitely weren't expecting that and the Hokies were able to to get it going from there. 22-10 to 10 was the score at halftime. The Hokies had a drive where they were 3-for-3 three three on fourth down, and Drones running the ball. He had a carry of 40 yards, just gashing right down the middle of the Seminoles' defense. Then in the second half to start it off, it was a kickoff return touchdown for Virginia Tech, the first that the Knowles had allowed since 2004, made it 22-17. You hear that, uh, feel the air come out of the building, and just like that, as the Seminoles so often do, the quick response, Trey Benson, 62-yard touchdown run to go back out in front. And the defensive adjustments, you have to like them uh, for Virginia Tech. Their drives in the second half, punt, punt, turnover on downs, punt, and a fumble in garbage time. So I guess let's start there. The, the defense, um, this is this has been a theme for, for most of the year now. We're now five games into the season. Florida State, they're number 79 in the country in yards per game, nearly 400, but it's a very much textbook bend-don't-break. They're 43rd in scoring defense with just over 21 points per game allowed, so it seems like the opposition is all the way up and down the field nonstop, but they're able to make plays when necessary, and they're not giving up a lot of points when it matters. Absolutely, and we've talked about bend-don't-break over and over for this team. Guys like Jared Verse, you know, they might not be getting a sack every play, but, you know, his PFF is just out of the charts. I mean, Coach Papuchas said before the Clemson, or said after the Clemson game, excuse me, that it was the best game he had ever played as a Florida State Seminole. And he didn't have any sacks in that, in that game, I don't think. Maybe, maybe one. And so when we take a look at this Florida State defense, and we take a look at especially at this Virginia Tech game, it didn't feel as though Virginia Tech was, was gashing the Knolls on the run. Yes, there are a few big plays here or there, but for the most part, they got penetration. Um, they, they were able to get a decent amount of stops. It was honestly those fourth down conversions is really what allowed Virginia Tech to have any sort of semblance of identity in the game. Without those fourth down conversions, I think you know Florida State wins by a lot more, and we can talk about penalties and officiating later, but I think this game was a lot less close on paper 
especially with the with the kick return. You know, it's one play that results in seven points, and it's not your offense or your defense on the field. But like you said, Ben, don't break. Florida State's defense has been pretty solid. You know, they only gave up ten points the entire game, zero in the second half. Despite what the scoreline says, I felt pretty confident in them after this game, especially facing a running quarterback, which we were worried about. I think you should. The box score, I'm not going to say mistelling, but Virginia Tech over 200 yards on the ground, six yards per carry. There was a couple outliers in that. It seemed like when Virginia Tech really wanted to lean on the run game, it wasn't necessarily there later in the game. It started to open up as, like I said, the Knowles not as aggressive as they were to begin the game, but you don't give up any points in the second half. Yeah, That's and, what matters the most. And 80 of those yards came from, you know, when, when Drones was flushed out of the pocket. He got a couple of designed runs uh, to go for him, but just from the running game alone, not from a, a QB scramble standpoint, I thought it was a, a okay kind of day from the, from the defense on the run. From a passing standpoint, pass defense I thought looked great. Renato Green looked solid. Uh, Jerry and Jones made a few nice plays. Obviously, there was the interception that was called back, but the pass game looked pretty solid. They weren't able to get anything out. The Virginia Tech, Virginia Tech at, at that wasn't able to really get anything on those bubble screens. Uh, pardon me, I forgot his name. Conrad Hussey, right? With a huge hit uh, to, to negate that, that bubble screen. Virginia Tech kind of stayed away from it the rest of the game. Um, but a stellar, a stellar game for the Florida State defense in the air, I thought. Yeah, great way to put the, the passing struggle for the Hokies, just two for 13 on third down. Knowles were able to get off the field quite a bit, and that's the progression you wanted to see from Adam Fuller and his unit. You mentioned the penalties, 12 for 99 yards. There were some that I think most of us could agree. The late hit on the, the defensive tackle, one of the freshmen there, um, Byron Turner, should not have been a flag. It, basically, the ball had just come out of Drone's hand, and it wiped uh, off the board an Azaria Thomas acrobatic interception where he was able to tap the foot in on the far sideline. Instead, it's a first down for Virginia Tech. But there was a lot of pre-snap stuff. Marie Smith, the center, flinched twice. If you're the center, if you're holding the ball, how are you having false start penalties? Very strange. I know Florida State at home, they like to go with that real hard count, and they did draw Virginia Tech offsides at times, but it seemed like their own men were flinching just as much as Virginia Tech's line was. Uh, Casey Roddick, the left guard, called for a holding and at least one false start. 99 penalty yards doesn't come from nowhere. Is Was this where you come away thinking it was a sloppy performance in that regard? Was there bad calls enough that you don't really consider it? Uh, where do you see this, where we are right now? Well, I'll tell you what, if, if you ask me what my biggest concern from this game would be, it would be the pre-snap penalties. At this point in the season, with the veteran players that Florida State has, the amount of false start penalties was a bit surprising, mostly because Florida State hadn't really had a whole lot of them throughout the first four games. But when it comes to officiating, yeah, there were some, there were some most, or excuse me, not most, but a decent amount of the penalties were, were self-inflicted. But I thought the officials had missed a plethora of, of game altering calls. Sure, officials miss calls. You know, I, there's probably a good chance that there is at least one per team each game that's pretty bad that gets missed. But there were two or three that went against Florida State that I completely disagree with, and that changed the entire tone of the game. Now, Florida State's first drive of the second quarter, I mean, there was a pretty obvious pass interference that wasn't called for Ja'Kai Douglas. 
uh, it was on third down. It forced the Knowles to punt. And then on Virginia Tech's ensuing drive, uh, an interception was negated uh, by really a church league roughing the passer call, uh, which ended up in a, in a Virginia Tech field goal. So just on those two drives alone, there were at least there was at least a three point swing and maybe even a ten point swing, uh, and a missed interception. So the other penalty self inflicted, sure, but the officiating screwed up those two drives alone and made the game, in my opinion, a lot closer than it should have been, a lot closer than it actually was. I mean, you know, when you score thirty nine points in a game and you allow seventeen, I feel like there's going to be some penalties. Um, but I think one of the big bright spots was uh, Trey Benson. I believe he had over 18 yards of carry, which was incredible. I mean, if you just keep running it with him and you'll score like nearly every time, it feels like. I mean, Trey Benson, he broke his own record for uh, the longest rushing touchdown twice in one game. It was with a 60-yarder, somewhere around there, and then about, I think it was an 85-yarder he broke it for a second time. So congrats to him. I think it's the first 200-yard rushing performance since Dalvin Cook was a seminal so that is incredible good for him yeah 2016 against Syracuse the last time a running back or any Florida State player for that matter with 200 yards on the ground and that was one of the things that we most wanted to see going into this game and really didn't see much different in the approach for Florida State to get the ground game going it was a lot of the same counter concepts and formationally Florida State, especially in the first half, a lot of one tight end, one running back sets. They had a lot of three wide receivers, and they would motion the slot from one side to the other, and that was really where they were running out of a lot. Uh, but Roddick, the left guard, pulls the most. Demetri Emanuel at right guard, and the Noel swapped him out with Keandre Jones as the second half went along. I personally, from what I've seen, Trey Benson works better when you just get him downhill in a hurry. The counter more of a delay as you turn around, give him the ball and wait for the blocks to set up. But Virginia Tech, probably the worst rushing defense in the conference. They were 12th coming in, and they give up uh, you know, 200 yards to Benson alone and add in some runs for Travis and others. It was a great day on the ground, almost 300 yards rushing, 282. The team runs for eight yards to carry as a whole. But... It's got to feel good, and for Benson, too, something that you don't really associate with him because he, he's a bruiser, right? He keeps the legs churning. He can get, and fight for those extra yards and push the pile. How about Trey Benson with the, the track speed? Just outrunning DBs that have an angle on him. He is just flying right up the sideline. That really impresses me. He's got a lot of tools in his toolbox with all the things that he can do for this offense, and for me, that, that's got to be what stands out the most in a good way. Yeah, absolutely, especially Trey Benson in the run game. Even if you take away the two long touchdown runs, Benson still averaged nearly six yards a pop. So after two games in a row of the, of the run game seemingly sputtering, it was certainly a step in the right direction. And I said it you know, during my opening statement, uh, the team's resiliency is always impressive, even though it seems that we get that resiliency every week. And now that the run game is going, at least for this one week, basically the one of the only things left on this offense as far as boxes you're looking to check off the slot receiver position which Travis has not thrown to a lot and I want to cover that as well but Winston Wright who did return kicks in this game missed a couple of games earlier in the season he's no longer on the roster he is not going to play for the Knowles again he transferred from Virginia Tech missed all of last year with a gruesome injury that he suffered in a car accident He's got great straight line speed. He was great in fall camp. He can beat just about anybody uh, just flying deep down the field. And 
the Seminoles love their deep passing routes, it seems like, this year. So he seemed like a natural fit. Really didn't get the ball much at all. Uh, the Noles did get a lot of players in that position back from injury. Kentron Portier, Ja'Kai Douglas playing for the first time in forever. Destin Hill made a fantastic grab. So when, losing Winston Wright is not great. He's more of a, a higher profiler guy than maybe some of the other ones on that list. But I think he, in the long run, I don't know that Florida State will miss him all that much. I think, And that was part of the reason why Wright uh, decided to move the way that he did. Yeah, I would agree. Winston Wright coming from, from West Virginia was a great addition, but we previewed this unit before the season and called it maybe the best wide receiver core that Florida State has ever had. And while we hope, you know, Johnny Wilson is back in action next week against Syracuse, the wide receiver core is still incredibly talented uh, without Johnny Wilson and without Kentron Port, or excuse me, and without Winston Wright. I'm not saying Florida State won't miss them. I think they will miss them, and they might have to, to scheme a little differently, but with Destin Hill coming to or continuing to come on strong for Florida State, I think this season, I think his season's just getting started, and I'm not really worried about the passing game, especially against Syracuse. And we can't forget about Kentron Portier as well. I know I just mentioned him, but Florida State still has the Jimmys and the Joes to to compete in the air, so I, I I'm not too worried about it. Well, we've got a couple minutes left in the segment. Let's let's talk a little bit about. Jordan Travis, I was shocked to find this out. His first five games this year compared to his first five games of last season, he has 12 more carries, 70 more rushing yards. It really looks like he's running less, and not just myself, but a lot of uh, fans out there, people online kind of coming to the same conclusion. Also, just a lot different player. Travis, early in his Florida State career, he was looking to the check down first, and then he was going to take off, not just to get the first down, but he was going for a lot more. He is very elusive in the open field, haven't seen it this year. Because it seems, and you can tell at this point, we're enough games into the season, the coaching staff, whatever happened in the offseason and their install of, of this uh, new offense that we haven't necessarily seen yet, Travis, he is committed looking downfield basically every passing play. He's going to buy some time if he needs to, but the, the end, end goal for him is to get the ball 20-plus yards in the air down the field, and I, the offense just looks a lot different. Is it better or worse? Who's to say? Um, but it, it has worked decently well thus far. I'm just, I'm a little bit concerned about the sustainability of it and that we haven't seen a lot of interceptions yet, but they may come just out of nature of the, the aggressive approach. I think Travis is at his best when he's with those elusive long runs. We haven't seen any this year. Well, you're, you're very right. And when you come to think about it, we haven't seen Jordan Travis run a read option in how long? Couple against Clemson. I mean, that was really it, though, at the goal line. Yeah, but you know, I, I thought Travis ran the ball great against Virginia Tech. Him being hurt against Clemson is why we didn't, why he didn't really run the ball against Clemson as well in the second half, and his, and in the second half as well against BC. But this is my opinion. I, 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 you know, we all wanted Travis to become a much better passer. We all wanted him to stop using his running ability as a as a crutch. And I think we've gotten what we've asked for. I think this is what it looks like. In the past three years, Florida State fans have become so accustomed to him running for 80 yards a game, and now that he's you know a, a pass-first quarterback, it feels as though he's underperforming on the ground, even though he necessarily isn't. Um, I thought he was excellent on the ground against Virginia Tech, and you know he ran when he needed to, while also being comfortable in the in the pocket simultaneously. So, I guess my my statement to you, Florida State fans, is this is what it looks like to have a pass-first quarterback. Yeah, absolutely, and. I feel like Trev 
he doesn't overuse his rushing ability. He's not Johnny Menzel where every other player is just rolled to the right. I think, really, he strikes me more of a Russell Wilson type deal. I don't just say that as a Seahawks fan. I say that mainly because I feel like he uses his ability more as like complimentary for his rushing. So, you know, he's great with passing and he uses um, his legs as just, you know, a secondary ability if he needs it to escape, you know, some pressure. Uh, I was able to ask him in the press conference which uh, player he thinks his ability in rushing is most close to. And he said Jalen Hurts, simply because of the system that they run up there. And I see it. I see a lot of Jalen Hurts in him. He's great with the passing, and he's great with his legs. It's a very interesting point. We had that on game day at V89 Sports, Twitter, and Instagram. Follow it if you aren't already. Great content from this show going on right now on there as well. Yeah, Jalen Hurts' comp from, from him is a little strange. Hurts is a much more physical runner, and I think... I don't know if it's the left shoulder specifically or if there's something else. You can tell as soon as Travis crosses the line of scrimmage, the first thing in his mind is, okay, wh- when am I going to get down? It's not how can I get to the second level of this defense. It's, all right, got to slide or i got to get out of bounds and I'm protecting himself. So, like Jackson said, this is where we are now. It's just a, a little bit of a different world. And, like, you keep scoring 30 points every game, you're going to be in good shape, and there's not a whole lot to criticize there. And the run game uh, for the running backs, much better this week than previous. But midway through the program, going to pass it off now to Jack Oliaro for Seminole segment. Jack, take it away. Thank you, William. I'm Jack Oliaro. And before we get into it, I'm going to present a quick segment called The Pessimistic FSU Fan because that's the way my mind works. And I give uncomfortable score predictions. 41 to 28 is where I feel the game's about. FSU didn't hit their spread number this past week, and I don't think they will again this week. And now, it is time for the seminal segment, relaying the latest and greatest in all of Florida State's athletics, coming somewhere around the middle of the show to catch you up to speed on what you may have missed. We'll start out on the road in Louisville, Kentucky, where the second-ranked Florida State soccer team faced the Louisville Cardinals on Thursday night. Seminoles had just defeated the Miami Hurricanes at home the week prior and looked to keep the steaming locomotive humming. Similar to their playoff season, the first half was full of chances, near misses, but ultimately no separation at the half despite a 6-2 shot advantage. And sticking to their playoff season, they looked far more dominant coming out until the dam finally broke. Taylor Huff sent in a cross that came in awkwardly for the Cardinals keeper, and the Cardinals keeper's punch to the ball deflected behind her and into the back of the net for the game's first goal. They were able to double the advantage 10 minutes later as two non-starters were able to connect. Caitlin Zappé snuck a through ball to the Portuguese midfielder Maria Alagoa, where she was one-on-one with the keeper, sent the Cardinal keeper the wrong way for the easy tap-in and the win as the Knolls cruised to a second straight 2-0 game. Their next match was set for Sunday afternoon as they faced Boston College, a team they dismantled 6-0 last year with an Oni Echigini hat-trick in Newton, Massachusetts. FSU decided to break their script as Jody Brown found Jordan Dudley at the back post for the game's first goal inside just the first 10 minutes. And a few minutes before the, the half, Olivia Grace, Olivia Garcia excuse me, drove to the goal uncontested, picked out Caitlin Zappé, who made no mistake with her first goal of the season and a 2-0 advantage at the half. The Knowles only had one first-half goal at home all season up to this point. The first-half advantage only grew as their trademark second-half dominance only intensified as four more goals were scored. Leilani Nesbeth unleashed a, unleashed a left-footed effort for her first goal of the season, and not even a minute passed before Taylor Huff bossed the Eagle defenders and beautifully found the lower left corner for her fourth go- or for the fourth goal. Freshman Peyton Norris is a name you've likely never heard, 
but maybe worth monitoring the next few years, she battled injury throughout the first two months of the season, and today she made her presence known as Lauren Flynn swung in across into Norse, and off of her left thigh, she brushed the ball to deflect into the net for her first career goal. She waited this long for her first, and she wouldn't wait long for her second as Lily Farkas picked her out, and Norse fired the ball with an unbelievable force into the side of the net for the sixth and final goal of the game. The Knolls get the win, and the Knolls will get to stay home as they face 11th-ranked Notre Dame, a team they fell to on the road last year for nothing. They'll look to rid that terrible taste as they will do battle on Thursday night at 7 p.m., available to watch on the ACC Network. We now move inside to the gym as Florida State Volleyball look to improve on their five-game winning streak. The Knowles had the chance to equal their best conference play start since 2015, their opponent, the Miami Hurricanes and Coral Gables. They traded the first four sets and came down to a fifth set, the Knolls got out to an early 8-2 start and never looked back. They finished off the Canes silent, silenced in Knight Sports Complex with their sixth straight win. They then hosted North Carolina State back in Tully Gymnasium for a Sunday afternoon match. And this is kind of becoming a theme. They traded the first four sets, and guess who came up when the stakes were bigger? The Knolls took the final set and remained undefeated in conference play after six. The Red Hot Seminoles will face one of their toughest tests as they travel to Atlanta to take on 13th-ranked Georgia Tech on Friday night before a Sunday afternoon battle with Clemson in South Carolina. The Friday night game will be at 7 p.m., while the Sunday game will be at 1 p.m., both games streaming on ACC Network Extra. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Seminole Segment. William, I've checked your flight path and want to confirm that we are clear for liftoff. Thank you, Jack. Back here in the studio, William Jackson, Jacob, and Olivia taking you all the way up until 8 o'clock with new release. W's continue to mount for the Seminoles, and the football team will be looking for one more this week against the Syracuse Orange, who are 4-2, but 0-2 in ACC play. Consecutive losses to Clemson and North Carolina. It's a nooner ugh, at home on ABC this Saturday, so that's not great news. Uh, but what is great news is that we are joined now live via the telephone by Alex Ramal. He is at work in the sports desk for WAER, and you are live on Tomahawk Talk. Alex, good to talk to you, man. Yeah, it's great to talk to you. Had a fun summer working with you over in the Florida League, and uh, glad to see you're doing well over here at WVFS. You know, that was the first thing that I wanted to go to because – one of the most interesting things I have ever seen in my sportscasting career, and I could probably speak for you that it's in there as well. We were calling a baseball game together at Rollins College in Winter Park, and late in the game, the clock struck 11 p.m., and the sprinklers sprout out of the ground, start spraying all over the field. No one can turn them off, and the umps call the game. I had never seen anything like that before. No, uh, I was... Aware of the 11 o'clock cutoff time that uh, Rollins College was setting for our team, the Winter Park Diamond Dogs, but I didn't think it was that serious. I wasn't. I was thinking maybe we just try and get out by 11 o'clock and just get out of there early. But nope, they were serious. 11 o'clock, and you got to go <laughs> for good reason. And then they moved the start times back because they had that that strict cutoff. Just oh, Florida League baseball, gotta love it. Um, so. I want to talk now Knowles and Syracuse, obviously. And for for Syracuse, they had that great start to the year, 4-0. But I want to start with what happened on Saturday. They went uh, to UNC, got throttled by the Tar Heels, 40-7. It was one of the worst beatdowns the Orange have suffered in some time, perhaps since the FSU game last year. I know a lot went wrong, but can you kind of tell us what, what happened in that game that led to uh, such a lopsided score? 
Yeah, it's a game that's been uh, tough to analyze and tough to process for all of us because it was just such a beatdown. UNC put up the ninth most yards ever against Syracuse with 644. Uh, Drake May, of course, is an incredible quarterback, a competitor for the Heisman, probably a top-five pick in the NFL draft this year. But the rushing offense of UNC was very good, too. Omarion Hampton was an absolute beast out there. It was total domination on offense from the Tar Heels. And then on the other side, it wasn't much better for SU. Uh, Couldn't get above 150 yards passing or 100 yards rushing. It was just not together. Garrett Schrader wasn't clicking. LaQuint Allen couldn't get it going on the ground. The wide receiver play was not the best. It was a complete beatdown, and it looked like the team was just drained after even the first half. Garrett Schrader, he took on early in the season the nickname of Garrett Shredder. I would say lately it's been more like Garrett Safety Scissors. 44 points per game, their first four contests. Then you look at their last two games in ACC play, averaging about 10.5 points a game. How does Syracuse get out of that rut? I know they're missing a Rondé Gadsden, that huge wide receiver, tight end guy. What? How can they get this thing back on track? Yeah, and I like that you brought up Rondé Gadsden because I truly believed uh, before this season that he was going to be one of the best playmakers in not just the ACC but all of college football. He's that good, a major difference maker. And the guys behind him in that wide receiving core, there are some good role players in there. Isaiah Jones is a decent threat. Donovan Brown has been a surprise. Uh, even Dan Bellari has been getting involved as of late. But none of them can really step up to be that number one. Also, Damian Alford has been frustrating. He has all this talent. He's a huge target like Aronde, but has issues with drops and just some boneheaded plays. I think wide receiver is the key for the offense. I would say offensive line, but let's get real. Even the best offensive lines in the country aren't stopping Jared Verse. Alex Jackson here, co-host of the show. Um, as, a, as a media member, as a fan, that 17.5 point spread, and we can go into predictions later, but does that feel too steep for Syracuse? Or, you know, what, what is the expectation for this football team going into Doak for a noon game uh, that big of an underdog? Yeah, as a representative of WAER, which is a property of Syracuse University's Newhouse School, I don't know if I can get too exact when talking about the spread. Gotcha. But I will predict on my end that this game coming up will not only be similar to the UNC game that uh, SU just went through, but also the Knowles trip to the Dome last year. Yeah, and I apologize. I that, that was uh, My question was more directed. Do you feel that Syracuse is being disrespected in that regard? Disrespected with a 17-point spread? Again, no, not really, gotcha. because Florida State is one of the best teams in the country. You could arguably say the best team in the country at just a bunch of monsters out there. So, especially in Doak Campbell, you can't really uh, fault any odds maker for giving FSU a big bump. And it's a really tough three-week stretch for Syracuse. We've seen in the sport this year what a what a stretch like that can do. We saw Notre Dame fall again this past week. 
last year, Syracuse, of course, as you know, with the 6-0 and start, then lost their next five. Do you have that dreadful feeling that they're running it back 4-0, now they've lost two straight and possibly another really tough matchup that they're backsliding again in the second half of the season? Uh, you know, that's been a topic of discussion in uh, Syracuse fan and even media circles uh, as of recent over the past two weeks. I don't really buy it, or at least it's, it just feels different because last year the team had a lot of guys who the Orange are sorely missing, guys like Sean Tucker, Michael Jones, Deuce Chestnut, Matthew Bergeron, all those guys. And again, a 6-0 and start is different than a 4-0 and start. The Orange had that win over NC State in the Dome to get up to 6-0, and and were leading at Clemson in that seventh game that went so wrong towards the end. And then after that, a bunch of injuries and stuff happening like that were really got the season off the rails. This year, I don't think it's exactly the same. The season was always going to be defined by this four-game run in the middle with home Clemson, and then a three-game road stretch, which I believe fewer than 10 teams in the FBS have a three-game road stretch going to Keenan Stadium in North Carolina, going to Doak, of course, over by you guys. And then, while Virginia Tech isn't exactly what it used to be, going to Blacksburg Lane Stadium is is still really tough. So that was always going to be tough. I think Syracuse is kind of a mid-tier ACC team that, can't really be expected to win some of these massive games. So I don't think it's quite as disappointing yet. The Orange haven't lost a game that they should have won yet, if that makes any sense. Last year, I think the most disappointing losses were Clemson because the Orange were up, and then losing to Pitt and Wake was not good. I, I, I don't think anybody really blamed SU for losing to uh, Notre Dame and losing to the Seminoles. Right, so a team that's likely playing to chalk down the stretch, essentially. Could you give us just a quick kind of synopsis on, with what you know about this team, with how they like to go out and attack their opponents, what the general strategy is? Do they feel like they have to come out in the first half and take the jugular, that they have to get Schrader airing it out? Are they going to go more with the, the time and possession game, just trying to get it into the second half, and then maybe what they can do on defense with all the weapons that Florida State has, just anything that they're going to try and come into this game with. Yeah, again, I, I'm, not, I'm not Dino Babers, so I can't tell you exactly what's going on, but I think the only chance for Syracuse in this game is going to be to come out early, come out swinging, and put up points right away because, frankly, I don't have a lot of hope for the Orange to stop this Florida State skill group. I think it might be the best in the country with Trey Benson, Johnny Wilson, Keon Coleman, and Jaheim Bell, and, and even more past that, I think that that group, Syracuse doesn't have an answer for it. So it's going to be important for the Orange to get their confidence up early on the offensive side of the ball. Garrett Schrader has to be Garrett Schrader against Purdue. Uh, he was he carried the team that week. He was electric, had almost, I believe, around 200 yards on the ground. He needs to be that dynamic runner that we all know and love. And the wide receivers, I think, as I mentioned earlier, earlier have to st- st- step it up. Uh, Donovan Brown, Damian Alford, Isaiah Jones. It's got to be a huge week for those guys if SU has even a fighting chance. 
Alex, I think you said it all. You're an absolutely terrific interview. Can't thank you enough for the time. Fantastic to catch up with you, man. Good luck the rest of the way here. Thank you. Good luck to you guys. I'm happy to come on. Appreciate it. And uh, there he goes, Alex Ramal, working the sports desk up at WAER. No pizza picks for them up there. <laughs> uh, we do He's a pro. We do thankfully have pizza picks down here, and we'll give them to you, Jackson. And you were right to, to point out that 17.5-point spread as we're back here again in the studio for a noon game. Over under 56.5, looks fairly boilerplate to me. Just quick all-time stuff. Knowles 13-2 all-time against Cuse, have never lost at home as I knock quietly on the wood there. The game last year, both teams were 6-3 and three going into it. The Knowles only a touchdown favorite, a 38-3 waxing of the orange up in the dome. Travis, 21 of 23 passing, basically perfect. Benson, to that point, his best game is Seminole, over 160 rushing yards. Garrett Schrader threw for only 65 yards in that ball game as they failed to find the end zone. And if I can take you back to 2021... The Knowles got off of the 0-4 start with a 33-30 win at the gun. Ryan Fitzgerald with a 34-yard kick uh, to win it there in regulation. So, yeah, I'm going to be honest. Syracuse has got no juice. I came into the preview last week against uh, Virginia Tech, and they had won against Pitt, and they looked good. They had a new quarterback. They were kind of making up a new system on the fly. There was a chance for them to make it a game. I see nothing with this Syracuse Orange team that would indicate that they even have a, a ballpark shot of um, meeting the 17-and-a-half number. I, I would say three touchdowns at least for Florida State winning the ballgame. Aronde Gadsden, I mean, he was their, their top wideout. He, he was shut down by the Knowles last year, but you had to have at least him. It sounds like from what Alex told us, they've got some guys, but the pass rush is going to be fierce. I don't see how they move the ball. Uh, Jackson, I guess I'll go off to you now. Yeah, I think Florida State gets the job done. I think they barely cover. Now you said twenty-one. That means three and a half or four points. You know, around there. Um, Syracuse is a is a team that averages over four hundred yards a game. Granted, those first four games were not against great competition. Uh, they also averaged thirty-two points a game. Granted, however, in ACC play, they're only averaging about ten, ten and a half. They have a very capable quarterback in Schrader, though, and we know that. When they play somebody important, he hasn't really shown up in the slightest. However, I think Syracuse will play better than Virginia Tech. And I know Virginia Tech had the kickoff return to make it closer than it was. I'm going to go 38-20 Florida State. I was, I've was i been pretty, uh, what's the word? I mean, I guess you could use liberal in terms of the word of my predictions for the last few games. I was close for, for VT, not that it's about me, but... I'm going to go a little bit more conservative on this one. I think 38-20 to 20 is a fair spot. I think they cover just barely. I think the over just hits. Knowles win, Knowles win, Knowles win. Well, I mean, you know, I feel like Florida State, I think they're just going to dominate this entire game. Syracuse, quite frankly, they have not been exciting in ACC play. I mean, losing to Clemson 31-14 and then North Carolina 40-7. If you're losing those games, I don't see much of a chance you beating Florida State. I mean, 40-7 against number 14 North Carolina. How on earth are you going to stop Jared Verse? That's, uh, it's impossible, for, quite frankly. So, I'm going to, this is going to sound really disrespectful, but I'm going to say 45-3 Florida State. I mean, I definitely agree that Florida State's going to come out and win it at the end, but one thing I am worried about, and I don't know if this is just, I don't think this is just a me thing, but what 
I'm worried about is, you know, their ability to be consistent and keep up with the momentum because what I think is a really bad habit is I don't I guess cocky is the only word. I mean, you see it in the first quarter of the Virginia Tech game. You came out in, you know, 22-0, great, great quarter, but you just kind of fell off a little bit in the second. So as long as, you know, they keep that momentum, keep that consistency, I'd see it, um, you know, 35-10, I'm going to say. That's That's been a legitimate narrative for the Seminoles lately. Failure to separate, and all three ACC games now have been – close closer maybe than it should have been boston college and virginia tech alike for syracuse their best win a couple of scores at purdue one of the worst big 10 teams decent but not great it shows that they can go on the road and and put up some points they've ran for only three yards a carry and there are a couple of uh, conference games missing one of their best weapons at wide in in gadsden and it's a final leg of a brutal three-week stretch with Clemson, UNC, and now the Seminoles. I've got Florida State 45-10, to 10, really the most confident I have felt about them since the Boston College game. I would say I think this is the game where Florida State finds that extra gear that they didn't necessarily have. And so I've got uh, the Knowles by uh, 35 points. Now, we've got a few minutes left here, and there's been some other games going on in college football in this conference and some other teams that are making a legit run at it. Louisville at home on Saturday being the first of which. They plant themselves on the map, 33-20 to over Notre Dame. They go to 6-0 and for the first time since 2013. Sam Hartman, the, the Irish golden boy at quarterback, three picks. They turn the ball over five times. possible to win the, the, a game on the road when you do that. They're, they're great running back, only 20 yards on the ground, couldn't even run for two yards a carry. And for Louisville, that, that quarterback, Plummer, who Jeff Brom brought with him from Purdue, who's now the head coach there, just managed the game, and they've got a great running back in Jawar Jordan, 21 carries, almost 150 yards, great speed. I would say the best running back in the ACC, and Louisville now in the top 15 in the poll. They've got Duke, Miami, Kentucky. Those are the only teams remaining on their schedule that are currently ranked in the top 25. Notre Dame, obviously, with their second loss, eliminated from any type of legitimate uh, contention. They'll play USC at home. Chance to play a little bit of spoiler here, but there's a good chance the Knowles are playing Louisville in Charlotte for the ACC championship. Yeah, I'll tell you what, Louisville just utterly dominated Notre Dame, and granted there was the turnovers, but if I'm Florida State, I think I'd much rather play UNC in the ACC championship than Louisville. Louisville just has a lot of Uncle Mo going for him. So. Momentum. Amen. And uh, for Notre Dame, if you put 11 players on the field for the last two plays against Ohio State, you're probably still in this thing, but you don't, and so you lose that game. And now and it's hard to blame them for losing at Louisville with, again, a three-week stretch that they had had, an emotional win at Duke intermixed between them. They were one of the preseason darlings, and now maybe a chance to knock off USC after they uh, took uh, Arizona to three overtimes in the Coliseum on Saturday. How about the Miami Hurricanes blow an all-timer, 23-20. to They lose to Georgia Tech, Jacob. What the heck happened? <laughs> Mr. Weatherman, what's your forecast? I, this this forecast this might have been on par with twenty eight to three thirty five to three in the NFL. I mean this was just terrible. 
the words simply just cannot describe how badly Miami screwed this up. So they had like, I believe, 30, 40 seconds left on the clock. And folks, if they just kneeled it, they would have won the game. But instead, uh, Coach Cristobal decides to run it. They fumble. Georgia Tech recovers. Georgia Tech scores a touchdown. Now, I believe there's only real one instance where I've seen this before, and it was the Giants and the Eagles, like way back in the 80s. And I don't understand it. There's no genuine, I don't think there's a genuine rivalry between Miami and Georgia Tech. You know, if it was Miami-Florida State, I, I'd be like, well, if, you know, if Florida State was, you know, down and you wanted to just kind of run up the score because you disliked them, I'd possibly understand that. But against Georgia Tech, it makes no sense to me. Run, just take the knee and end the game. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I love what you said, the miracle at the Meadowlands you were referring to with the Giants and Eagles, and Herm Edwards was involved in that play. Hello. Um, you play to <laughs> win the, the game. game. <laughs> and Miami simply didn't by putting the ball on the ground there. Absolutely pathetic. And that the miracle at the Meadowlands, that play is the reason why the quarterback kneel down was invented. It was after that game. Whew. And, and Cristobal had done that exact thing before at Oregon a few years ago in a game that they lost. Wow. And, you know, you can take a look at Florida State with the Jacksonville State game. You know, I try not to bring that game up every week. It seems like I, I do it at least once every three weeks. But Let us forget about it. I it's know, in, let the I past know, be the past. I know, I know. But you take a look at that game, even if Florida State trots out prevent defense, there's still a, a more than zero chance that Jacksonville State somehow wins on a Hail Mary on a prayer. Miami has the ball in their hands. All they have to do is take a knee. And that is just incredibly ignorant I guess just 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 not knowing what to do as a coach in that situation if Georgia Tech had a timeout maybe I would understand it even then even if they even if, if they have three timeouts I understand it but they have no timeouts why why do it take it away Jacob well I mean and this drops the canes to one loss already so one more and they're they're dead so like all-time mistake you know words again words just can't describe this loss it's just pathetic is, is there a curse in miami it, like Incom a curse of incompetence perhaps. I, I just you know remember you know what was that four or five years ago they beat notre dame they they squashed notre dame at home in coral gables and pine paul feinbaum you know famously said miami is back and then you know you take a look at this squad whether they're playing Florida State in 2013, and they both come in, you know, a top 10 team, or whether it's whenever. Just when when Miami starts to look competent, I was hyping Miami up after the Texas A&M game, and I know Texas A&M might not be the the best team in in the FBS or in the SEC, but they're a very comp, you know competitive squad. They have the Jimmys and Joes. Miami was tackling very very well in that game, and they looked pretty solid despite the adversity they faced in the beginning. But I just don't get how Miami screws up so much. I mean, you guys definitely said, said it all. Um, Jacob said, you know, there's n really no words to describe this. He said pathetic, but, you know, I, <laughs> I really think it's just silly. I mean, I think that's a, a fun little word to describe it. I mean, it's just a, like a, I don't know. I've never seen anything so Atrocious. thoughtless. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'll, I'll close it out with this. the The decision not to kneel it is one thing, but also Georgia Tech got the ball back. Okay, 
they had to go 69 yards in 24 seconds with no timeouts. And somehow, Haynes King, the, the GT quarterback, completes a 30-yard kind of miracle and then also a 44-yarder to get into the end zone where inexplicably, when you know, well, I guess Miami, I get, perhaps thinking Tech was going for the field goal there to tie it. No, they're going for the win. Somehow a receiver gets past everybody in the secondary and you lose. To me, that's just about as pathetic as the decision on offense was. And Tyler Van Dyke, three picks, certainly was not at his best. Miami still outgained the Yellow Jackets by 200 yards, and they lost the game. They're 0-1 in ACC play. They'll they'll go to number 12 now, UNC, on Saturday night. That'll be a big one if you get home from the game uh, this weekend and check out the Canes and, and Tar Heels. And real quick, for the, for the Tallahassee natives and those listening online, Miami is 0-5 in ACC home games under Mario Cristobal. So just a little stat nugget for uh, for dinner tonight. Him or, or Jimbo Fisher, talk about head coaches with big salaries that you're not in love with right now. Those are, ooh, and they, they both suffered losses this past weekend. But that, that wraps us up here for the gang on Tomahawk Talk. For myself, William Haynes, our co-host Jackson Bakich, Jacob Smith, and Olivia Amen. Jack Oliaro was our producer. We'll be back next Monday at 7 o'clock. Talk about FSU Syracuse, preview their upcoming game against Duke, all that good stuff, and would love to hear from you then. But saying so long for now, new release is coming up next. You're listening to WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State.